0: We're going to talk about rebuilding and construction today. Let's open our Bibles, Amos chapter 9, and uh, see what God has to say. We, We talked last week about the plumb line, and you see it's still here. No one moved it, no one took it away or anything. No one hit their head on it. And really it's a tool used to make sure that something is perfectly vertical. And we talked about being vertically in line with what God wants and His Word, and, uh, you know, that it's God's standards that we are concerned about, not, not the horizontal standards. Those are important, but what's really important is the God's standards, that they come straight from heaven and God's Word for us. And this book of Amos has been a difficult one in, in some ways because there's a lot of of uh, consequences, a lot of judgment that's in there. And, and really, the deal is this that if we veer away from God's Word, God's standards, God's perfect standards, things will happen. It's never good. It's never good. Of course, we know the New Testament tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, we all fall short of that, that vertical, that, that uh, measuring rod that God has given to us, which is why we need a Savior. That's why we need a Savior. We need Jesus, the cornerstone. We need the true standard. We need Jesus in our lives more and more and more, every single day. He is our hope. We need God working in our lives. And we need that plumb line. And and someone I talked to after last week Talked about, you know, needing the plumb line when you're building a wall. You you're always have it there, and you keep moving it along to kind of to keep yourself in plumb with, with what you're uh, building. And so we need to stay in the Word. We need to be in there every day to see what God's trying to say to us. He's getting, you know, how He's getting our attention. Because we want His plans to be done, right? We, we are His project. If you can think about yourself as His project, how many of you have a project at home right now that you're working on? It's like, they never seem to end. There's always something to do or or it seems just like un, unable to accomplish it. But we, we, you and I are God's project, and, and that's one of my favorite verses, Philippians 1.6. I quote it a lot, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He started a work in you. He's working. He's doing some construction project. He's working inside. He works from the inside out. And, and uh, you know, I, I kind of like, uh, I, I brought a few tools out here because uh, we've been doing a little bit of construction over at the house and uh, this is one of the most important tools. But, you know, when God's working in us, mm, I don't know if we like this tool, you know. We kind of would like, you know, or this one we don't like that too much, the scraper, you know. You just got to, you know, you got to put some effort into it. It just not, doesn't feel very good. I, I didn't have one here, but I, one of my favorites is the, is the, the pry bar. I love pry bars, Man, you just use those. You can use those for everything. Everything, I mean, you know, uh, the file, that, you know, he got to file stuff down in your life. I mean, how many feel like he's filing something down right now? This is a pretty fine file, but he's got to start with something a little more coarse and then work down to the, to the finer stuff. But he's got to do something like that. But, but my favorite is the screw gun. <laughs> Oops. <sighs> yeah, just the sound is cool, you know? And when God's doing something in your life, you know, Oh, uh, that's Alex's tool. That's the uh, trowel when he's mixing up the mud. Uh, Oh, isn't that good? DeWalt. That's DeWalt, just so you know. I'm going to put that right here, Chris, just so you know. Looking at the last chapter of Amos here today, you know, there's some... There's some awesome stuff in there, but what kind of got my attention was this, that that God takes the fallen, God takes the broken, God takes the ruined, and He can restore, and that He can repair, and that He can rebuild, and that's what He does in people's lives. I just know it. I've seen it so so often. I've seen it in my own life over these last many years, that God takes stuff that is in need, and He does something with it. See, only God can do it. Now, now Amos, he's he's got a message that God is calling out the people, people who had turned away from him. And and so many of the the writings of the prophets are like that. God is calling out, come back, come back, come back. And we saw that the message in in, uh, one of the earlier chapters where, where God says, seek me and live. And that's his message. He wants us to come to him. And he is a God of love and he's inviting us, but he's also, and you can't, you can't read the scripture without seeing that God is also a God of justice and that, that you know, he's a, he's a God of holiness and he's a God of purity and, and he is a God of judgment too. Now, we don't like to focus on that and I don't like to focus on it either, but we, you can't just only focus on the parts you like. You see, the, the wages of sin is what is death, death. death and, and that's just the way it is. But God is a God of restoration, and for those that would turn to Him, that would seek after His face, He's a God of restoration. He's a God that that does repairs. He's a God that rebuilds broken lives. He, He is. I've seen it over and over and over again, and even in my own life. Look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. He says, I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and He said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away. None will escape, though they dig down to the depths of the grave. From there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from me at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies. There I will command the sword to slay them. I will fix my eyes upon them for evil, and not for good. Wow, that's pretty heavy stuff. Pretty heavy stuff. But again, let's keep this in context. That at the very end of this chapter, we're going to see that he brings, it's a whole message of hope for those that would turn to him. What comes out in these four verses is the fact, though, is that, is that it's inescapable. He said, not one will get away, not, not one will escape, that you and I have to deal with God. It's inescapable. We can't just pretend that He's not there. We can't, no one in this world can just say, God doesn't exist, so therefore He doesn't exist. We will all one day stand before Him. No other way. It's inescapable. One way or another, we are going to deal with God. Earlier in the book of Amos in chapter 4, he said, prepare to meet your God, O Israel, Be ready. Someone said that the impossibility of escaping from God's impending judgment, you can't just get away from Him. He's there. Psalm 139, one of the most famous of the Psalms, he, he, he says that kind of thing. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If, if I try to go here, I try to go there. I can't. There's nowhere to hide from God. So it would seem to me the best thing is to just face Him, and then when you and I do, we find out that He loves us and that He wants to work in our lives. That he wants to do something incredible when all along we, we, we didn't know, perhaps, or we were afraid, or perhaps we were just plain stubborn and rebellious. The, the evangelist D.L. Moody said these four things. He says, there is there's one God, Number two, we are accountable to him. Number three, we must meet him. And number four, we need preparation to meet him. That preparation is turning to him in repentance and and seeing what what he will do. He says, seek me and live. Verses five through seven, let's look at those. He says, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, he who touches the earth and it melts. And all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He who builds his lofty palace in the heavens sets its foundation on the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. The Lord is his name. The Lord Almighty. That's who we're dealing with here. I think the more that we understand about who He is, the fact that He is the Lord Almighty, that He is the Sovereign Lord, that He is Yahweh, the One who is the, the, the one and only true God, the Creator, the Sustainer of the whole universe, once we understand more about who He is, then a lot of it makes sense to us. Earlier in the book of Amos it said, He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind... And reveals his thoughts to man. He who turns dawn to darkness, treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. This is the one that we have to deal with. It's inescapable, but, but when we see who he is, the Lord Almighty, God says, Seek me and live. The Creator, the Sustainer of the universe. Jump down to verse 8, he says, Surely the eyes of the Lord, the sovereign Lord, are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord, for I will give the command and will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach to the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. He says there's going to be a remnant. A remnant. See. Talks about the shaking here and the shaking to see what is going to stand, what is going to last, what is still going to be there. I hate that when when my life gets shaken. Do you ever feel like your life is just getting shaken up to see kind of where you what what you're building your life on? Is it it any kind of a strong foundation? Is it truly built upon the Word of God like uh, Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, where you build your house on the rock, and when the storms come and shake, that it's going to still stand and not just get blown apart? But he says, I'm going to shake the house of Israel among all the nations. He mentioned uh, exile earlier, and, and that's exactly what happened uh, to the nation of Israel who Amos was talking about, that they, ha- they, they got shaken at, to some point. They didn't turn back to him, and they got taken away by the Assyrians into exile, taken out of their land and taken captive. But notice he says there was a remnant that was spared, a remnant. Those, I believe, that, that did get the message and that finally said, you know what, I'm going to seek him. I'm going to seek his face. That's what's going to make the difference. That's what makes the difference. When we, you and I, seek after the kingdom of God, we seek after him and live, find that life, that remnant is spared. Not all will be saved, but only those that will turn to Him. It's true; is is He's talking about the nation of Israel here. I, I have to say this in in terms of this whole picture here: is the nation of Israel is, is God is speaking directly to the nation of Israel. But even even so, as we look at these verses in in this next section, this, this next section about hope, is that is that there are principles that that apply for us that 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 God is doing the same thing in you and I and, and, and those that would turn to Him. So let's, let's look at this last section here. This is what I want to focus on this morning, where hope breaks forth in this long nine chapters and, and, and some of the very difficult stuff, even in this own first chapter, some of the very difficult stuff that we see that God says. But look what he, how He finishes this. Let's read these five verses. In that day, he said, I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. And I will plant Israel in their own land. Never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Incredible, isn't it? Their principles, as I said, as I mentioned here for us. And and looking back now into verse 11, he says, "In that day I will restore David's fallen tent. He says, I will restore David's fallen tent. God can do it. God can restore. God can restore the fallen tent, the fallen people. You know, the truth is we are fallen people. The truth is that the world is full of fallen people. But God can restore, and God does restore. And I wonder, maybe, maybe someone here today you feel like you're just fallen. You, you feel like this, that, that you're, you're like a fallen tent, and, you, and you, kind of, you can look at the picture and think about the picture of a tent that's set up. How many of you have been camping with a tent, and you didn't set it up right, and the wind came along, and you know, the thing gets wiped out and blown down? Well, the Lord says, I can restore that. I can make that right. I can, I can do something with that. I can, I can restore you. God can restore in us, and and, and I believe that He he is a God of restoration. I believe that He can do something in our lives. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of the people around us, because we're all fallen to one degree or another. Maybe that's you today, and I want to say to you, put your hope in God. He says, I will restore. It's something that He is able to do. We sing that song, He is able more than able to do to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able to restore. He is able to restore. But you've got to turn to Him. You've got to face Him. You've got to seek after His face, the God who is able to restore. The second thing, notice there in verse 11, he says, I will repair its broken places. For some reason, that one strikes me the most. How many of you are broken? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you just feel broken? Just feel broken. Just like the stuff in this life just like busts us up, breaks us down. And, and most of us are not even willing to admit it. We, we wouldn't tell somebody else, you know, unless they're a very good friend or someone very close to us, you know what, I feel broken. I'm just a broken person, but I love it. It says, God says, I will repair its broken places. God is the one who can repair us, the, that brokenness inside. You know, there's kind of two ways you can look at that. Where one is that, you know, God loves, loves it when we, come, when we are broken and we come to Him broken. But the fact of the matter is that we are broken already. And, and I think part of it is just re- realizing that and, and we're not like the ones in that last section where we says, oh, the disaster's not going to overtake me or meet me. No, it already has. We're broken people. But, but it says in uh, Psalm 51, um, let me just turn there so I don't misquote it. David's uh, psalm of repentance, he says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When when we're broken and we come before him, God says, wow, he, he, he desires us to come before him. But He doesn't just leave us that way. He knows how to fix us. He knows how to repair what's broken in us. He's he's the only one that really knows how to do this. Why? Because He made us. He's the creator. He knows how He put us together. He knows what we're made of. He designed us. And so what better person uh, it is to go to the one who designed us when we're broken and we need to get fixed Are you broken? Are you broken? I want you to know that God can rebuild you and he can rebuild me and, and that we, as we put our hope in him, put our hope in him. Maybe this is so, just something that is just between you and him and in the quietness of your own heart in the middle of the night when you're, you're talking to him you say, God, you know, I'm, I am so broken. I'm brokenhearted maybe. I've been through things that that no one else can understand. And and you know what? God is right there, and he's right there to say, you know, I can can fix that. I I can help you. I can heal the brokenhearted. I can do something with you. Put your hope in me, he says. I can do something. What happens in my own life, I think, at times where I'm just wandering around, you know, just overwhelmed by that and not, not realizing that God wants to and can do something with me and in me and work on those areas. And I'm just walking around just completely overwhelmed by it. And, and, and finally, I think I get to that place where I say, God, I'm just like, I'm messed up. That's why I love that scripture. He says, you know, that he's the counselor the counselor I, I i i confess to you today i am in counseling i am in counseling every single day because the holy spirit is my counselor and i need counseling i'm not afraid to admit it. i'm messed up some of you already know that right you've been you've been around me long enough that guy's messed up that guy is broken he's he's need he needs counseling Well, I tell you today, I am in counseling, and I'm receiving counseling, and it is very good counsel, very good counsel. And it has helped me through the years, you know, all through the years, to changing my life, and there's still a long ways to go. I, I can see that. There's still a lot of stuff, you know, just even from, you know, growing up in a broken home, alcoholic father, and all the rest of the stuff that came along with that, and you know, uh, five brothers and two sisters in an insane household. And, and, you know, how could anybody survive any of that? But God has been my father from the very first day, and he's still my father, and he's still the one who's working in me, and he started the good work, and he's going to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. That encourages me so much when I focus on the fact of how far there is yet to go and how messed up I still can be at different times, uh, that gets discouraging. But when we focus on the Lord and what He wants to do, I'll repair its broken places. The third thing here, He says, I will restore its ruins and build it as it used to be. He says that He will do this. He will restore its ruins and build it as it used to be. We are absolutely ruined people. The world is full of ruined people, but God can rebuild. God can rebuild. He's able, and he knows what he's doing again. You know, we're, we're, we had to fix some broken windows and some and, at the house, and, and uh, Alex here has been helping me. He knows about construction. I know um, um, about this much, and... Uh, So, but, you know, we had this window, and and we had, you know, years ago, uh, after we moved into this house, it was kind of strange, when it would rain, uh, water uh, would come in and come down from the light fixture onto our bed. So I thought, that's not really, that's not too cool. (laughs) Water, electricity, you know, put those together, and... Sleeping. So it wasn't good at all. So uh, so quite a number of years ago, we, uh, again, Alex and I got up there. And we just kind of like, we kind of covered it over, right? We 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 didn't really fix it, did we? We just covered it over and stopped that water from going in. So, but, but finally got to the place years later that we, we needed to get in there. And we opened that thing up and it was a disaster in there. I mean, the wood was completely rotted and just... It was, it was a nightmare. And, and so, you know, we could have just covered it over again, but no, we needed to rebuild. We needed to put in new wood, rebuild that area, and make it the way that it's supposed to be. And, and that's what it's like inside of us. You, you know, God gets in there, and it's like it's a disaster in there. Like, it's ruined. Like, but God gets in there, and, he, and he's got the new 2 by 4s and he gets the screw gun and, and, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's got the hammer and, the, and, the, and the, all the tools that we need. Again, that pry bar, I love that. You've got to get in there. He's got to get in there with the pry bar and pry that old stuff out of there. He, Alex lets me do that part. <laughs> he says, you can do that. And then when it comes to rebuilding, I say, you can do that because <laughs> I, if I, I have no clue. But see, God has a clue inside of us what needs to be rebuilt. He he knows what what needs to be fixed. He knows what the new parts should be. He knows what the materials should be. He has the plans. And he is the master craftsman that knows how to rebuild ruined people. Notice that in the the bottom of verse 12, he says, declares the Lord who will do these things. Who will do these things. Really, the Lord needs to do it. Another very famous psalm, Psalm 127. Anybody know what it says? Psalm 127. says this, unless... See, I only had to give you one clue. Unless... The Lord builds the house. Its builders labor in vain unless the Lord does the work. We can do all kinds of stuff, man. But unless the master craftsman does the work. But again, we need to submit to him and we need to say, okay, you got the job. I'm going to let you do the job. I'm going to let you work in me. It's not always easy. Again, the demo has to take place before the rebuilding can take place and, and we need to come to that place of, of repentance where we turn to him, where we, we, we surrender to him and he begins to restore, he begins to repair, he begins to rebuild. I want to turn to a few scriptures. We've got a little bit of time. Jeremiah, let's, let's turn uh, back to Jeremiah chapter uh, 1. First of all, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Jeremiah received this call to be a prophet, to speak to the people, but verse 9, it says, then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and he said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. See today, he put his word, the Lord had put his words in Jeremiah's mouth. See today, I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. See that? Like four things of like getting it ready before he could actually get to the place of building and planting. There was all that tearing down, that uprooting destroying and overthrowing and, and and that's kind of what it feels like sometimes when God's doing a work inside of you you just wish it could like be something easy I've been a Christian many many years and I think God, God shouldn't it like be getting easy now you, you know we, we had this plan we got a lot of windows to fix and the plan was let's do the hard ones first so that the rest can be easy but I don't think God works that way. I think he's got, he's got it backwards, it seems like. Because it doesn't seem to get, like, easy. Shouldn't it get easy? God, shouldn't it get easy? I mean, just the finishing touches? No, he's still, he's got to get in there and tear down and uproot and destroy and overthrow, and then, and then comes the building, and then comes the planting. How about Jeremiah chapter 31? Jeremiah 31, verses 3 and 4. There's a big, big subject of building and rebuilding and all that in the, in the Bible, but look at, look at verses 3 and 4. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. That's why he's doing this. That's right there. Because I've loved you, he says, with an everlasting love. In verse 4, he says, I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. And again, you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful. Seems like it's never going to happen. Never going to get to that joy. But remember, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and he loves you so much, he loves me so much, and, and that's the only reason he's, he's doing the things that he needs to do. But he will build us up again, and, he, and you will be rebuilt. Don't give up hope. The psalmist says that, that you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will restore my life again. God is going to do a work. God is going to do an incredible work. And another psalm writer, another psalm says this, Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us. Shine upon us that we may be saved. Restore us. He told Peter, I tell you, Jesus told Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And it wasn't on Peter, it was on the rock of Jesus Christ being the the Savior, the Messiah, the King, the answer. And he says, The gates of Hades will not overcome it. God is doing a work, He's building, He's building a church. It can't be stopped. I'm glad to just be a little part of it, just a tiny little part of that little, that, that work that, that he's doing, that he's building. Let's go back to Amos. Look at those last few verses. I want to talk just a little bit about the nation of Israel. <clears throat> verses 13 through 15, we read it. But he says the days are coming when incredible things will be happening. Will they, they will be having this uh, abundance, this new wine dripping from the mountains, flowing from the hills, where they would be brought back to the land, where the ruined cities would be rebuilt. And th- there are promises that go all the way back to the, to the promises made to Abraham in the, early in the book of Genesis. And that God keeps his promises. And for Israel, the nation of Israel, God has a plan. As God also has a plan for you, He has a plan for me. As has a specific thing that He's doing. He's working in us and, and, and all the rest of it. But He also has a plan for the nation, nation of Israel. And, and we need to keep our eyes on that nation of Israel. What is God doing? I think it's occurring even now. There are some things that have already occurred. Um, James Boyce uh, the pastor and commentator talks about this, uh, and, and he says, he mentions five things. Number one, the regathering of the Jews in the land. It's absolutely, absolutely miraculous that the people that, who were pretty much completely scattered and wiped out were actually brought and gathered back into the land of Israel. You have to just read about that and and how that came about. It's just an absolute incredible thing that, that, you know, has has not happened. Number two, he mentions the fact that they were uh, able to uh, take control of Jerusalem. I know that's a hot spot in today's world, but that's why you hear the prime minister say, listen, we will not, we will not give up Jerusalem. It cost them too much. And it means too much for them to have Jerusalem as their capital. But three, th- the, the next three things that he mentions are yet to be, number three, the rebuilding of the temple. The rebuilding of the temple. It speaks about a temple that's rebuilt in the Scripture. And it's also, uh, there are groups of people, even as we speak today, that that's their whole, that's their whole vision in life, is to prepare for a rebuilt temple. They have, they're preparing all the utensils, all the different things that, uh, you know, that will be used in the temple. They're preparing for it. How is that going to take place? You know, There's a lot of different theories and, and the rest of it. I don't know, but, but God knows. Two more things. The appearance of the two witnesses spoke about in Revelation still yet to happen there. And then finally, where the, the Jewish nation turns to the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. Yet to take place. But, but these things are written about in God's word and God's promises will always be fulfilled. They will always be fulfilled. He finishes by saying a few things. He says, we can learn from Israel. Obedience is followed by blessing and disobedience by judgment. He says, will our nation seek God and walk in His ways? If so, God will bless our nation. If not, we will be judged. And Will those who are Christians humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways? He says this as well, it is still the day of grace for us, but that day will end and the time will come when we see Christ by the altar, like he mentions, quoting chapter 9, verse 1. He says, how will we meet Him in that day? He will be our judge or our savior. How will we meet him in that day? Amos, this guy who was just taken from the fields, you know, he's watching sheep. He was taking care of fig trees. And he was given this message, a hard message, but it ends on this note. And I want you to look at the very last verse. It ends on this note. He says, says the Lord, your God. All these things says the Lord your God. That's, that's how he ends it. And the question is, is he your God? Is he the Lord your God? Is he my Lord and God? Two passages we'll close with in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 5 and Acts chapter 20. 1 Peter chapter 5 in Acts chapter twenty, we will close with these two passages. First Peter, chapter five, uh, verses ten and eleven. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast to him, be the power forever and ever. Isn't that incredible? A little bit of suffering, though. After you've suffered for a little while, you say, well, it seems like a lot longer than a little while, but... You know, God's timetable is not always ours, and in, in, in comparison to eternity, it's just a tiny little blink of the eye, really. Comparison to eternity. He will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the glory. And then, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul is speaking to the elders, the leaders of the church at Ephesus. Verse 32, sounds like a benediction. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those, all those who are sanctified. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance. Let's pray.